I'm preaching on the subject, it's amazing. It's kind of sad that in the age that we live in, we've lost the wonder of a lot of things. Uh, you know, and, and I realize with technology, with science, uh, with education, uh, a lot of things now that can be explained, uh, you're probably like me, you, you watch certain things. Uh, Candy and I, we got intrigued at why the price of eggs are going up so much. So uh, we, we had to do a search and sit down and watch about five or 10 little short documentaries on egg farms. And uh, it was amazing. It really was, to say the least, it was amazing. Uh, some of them, how many eggs they process and how they process the eggs and uh, chickens still lay eggs the same way, but they don't gather them the same way, I'll tell you that. And uh, I was raised on a farm and I dreaded having to get the eggs. And if you ever had a mad hen, you know what I mean by that. And I dreaded that job. And uh, more than once I've been flogged and you probably have too, but the Lord was preparing me for the ministry. I know how to take a flogging and still get the eggs. Know how to get the good stuff, even though there's a hen on my back. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. Everybody don't love you, but that's okay. The Lord loves me. And uh, so, you know, we started, we, we started reviewing some of that and looking at some up, but it, we, we both said the same thing after we watched. It, it's amazing. Some of you probably have watched even some of the programs on how it's made or how things are made and how they process things now and manufacture things. And it really is, it, it's amazing. I know a lot of people here used to work on the bottling lines uh, for soda companies in the area. And no, we're not going to question you on which is better, Pepsi or Coke. I love them both because I've got people in the church that's made their living through both. And uh, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But uh, you, you know, through time, that's all become automated and uh, now it's all cans, mostly in plastic bottles, but it's all automated. And it's, it's amazing to see how they do all of that, how things come to pass. But there's some things that I still have not lost the wonder of it when I read it. Now, some things you get used to and, and you'll have to say, well, I'm really not that amazed by that. But there's just a couple of things in this chapter that I'm going to get to that I want to deal with tonight that, that the more I thought on it, the more I was amazed by it. And especially in light of what, uh, what I've been through in the past 24 hours, uh, maybe I'll share just a little bit of that with you. God is so good. Hallelujah. God is so good. When you get to Exodus 15... The people of God, the children of God have been in bondage. God has sent his servant to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And you know the battle that ensued and the plagues that came. God sent one plague after another. And that's a message within itself. I always, I've always been intrigued by the fact that the magicians could do many of the things that God was doing through his servant. But there was a certain point that there was something they couldn't undo. God can not only do things, he can undo things. 
You're still here, aren't you? Aren't you glad he can undo things? <laughs> Some things that we make a mess of, I'm glad he can go back and clean everything up, make it better than new. He really can. So finally, it comes to the final plague and they're ready to leave. But then of course, Pharaoh changes his mind. The devil never quits. He's a picture of the devil. He comes, comes with his army. They're facing the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army coming on the attack. And God, again, does something that we read it, but I think that we miss how amazing it is, how he divided the sea. They went through and then the sea came back in. Pharaoh's army was drowned. And I know that there's been so many attempts uh, through liberal theologians to explain that. Years ago, you've heard me tell it from this pulpit that years ago there was a pastor that he'd come from a liberal seminary and, and he was teaching his people on that and, and he, told, he told them, he said, all of you get excited about that. He said, but there wasn't anything to that. Said there's a certain time of the year where you go to the Red Sea and, and the sea has, has absolutely gotten so low that there's just sandbars that go through it. And all they did was cross through on the sandbars and an old lady sitting in the front started shouting and shouting and shouting and finally got her calmed down. He said, I don't know what you're shouting about. Said, you don't understand. You thought this was a miracle all along. She said, it's a bigger miracle than I ever thought. And he said, well, I just told you they walked through on sandbar in ankle deep water. And she said, that's the miracle. God drowned a whole army in ankle deep water. <laughs> you can't take God out of it. And how miraculous that was. Now they're on the other side of this miracle. They are, they are on their way to the promised land. And when you get to verse one, the Red Sea's now came in on Pharaoh's army and the army's behind them. They're out of Egypt. And verse one says, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. Then they continue to sing. And as they continue to sing, when you get to verse 20, Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. So it was contagious. They start praising God. Then by the time you get down to verse 22, 22 the Bible says that Moses, after that they have finished singing the song, praising the Lord, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness. How many days? Three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast, when, and when, which he had cast in the waters, the waters were made sweet. Then down in verse 27, and they came to Elam and there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees and they encamped there by the waters. Now there's two or three things that doesn't amaze me in this text. In verse one and verse 20, they sing, they praise, they dance, they rejoice. I'm not amazed at that at all. 
because if you have ever come out of bondage and the Lord has ever put the enemy behind you and you have ever gotten to a place where God took you through the troubled sea and did the miraculous and did what nobody else could ever do, then I just think it comes natural that you want to praise him the best way that you possibly can. I think every born again believer in this place tonight can associate with this. While we weren't in bondage in Egypt, we were in bondage to the world, in bondage to our sin, but thank God there was a sea that God brought us through and what we could pass through, the precious sea of his blood, the enemy died in and because of that we're on the other side now and it doesn't amaze me at all I don't get amazed in the least when people get happy I don't get scared when they get happy I don't get troubled when they shout because they got every right to shout they know what he's brought them from and what they've come through that doesn't amaze me Because really, if we got it, it's okay to feel it. And if we've got it and we feel it, it's okay to show it. And you know something else that doesn't amaze me. Now, I hear a lot of preachers say, this this amazes them. This wonderful miracle they just went through, this time of shouting and rejoicing, three days journey, three days. Three days with that amount of people it wasn't a great distance. They'd just gone a short distance from the time where they passed through the sea. God's delivered them out of Egypt. The enemy has drowned and they're rejoicing and praising God. Three days later, there's no water. And they're shouting in verse one and they're singing in verse one and they're complaining. When you get to verse 22 through 25, they're complaining. You brought us out here to die. There's no water. Let let, let me warn you about something. When God pours a blessing on you, don't be amazed if you don't go through a dry spell right after it. Now that, you say that sounds strange, preacher. Not at all, because the devil, it's a challenge to the enemy. There's some things you do that will cause war between you and the enemy. When you start doing it, it automatically initiates the enemy to try to take away what God has just done. So that doesn't amaze me. It doesn't amaze me at all. I'm used to that, I guess. In fact, I'm a little bit leery when when people, years ago, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this. He's dead now, so it don't matter. A guy one time, Sunday morning, I'd preached. After I finished preaching, he knocked on the, at that time we lived in a parsonage. Uh, it was a mobile home set right here where this is at. He knocked on the door. Candy was fixing dinner for the kids and I. And he stood there on the door and he said, man, you're the greatest, you're the greatest pastor I've ever had. Immediately, my radar went off. Beware when people say all good things about you. And he told me how great, how great a preacher I was and said, I got a gift for you. And handed us a gift. It was a nice gift. It was uh, something that we needed. 
was an answering machine. We'd never owned an answering machine. First one we'd ever had. And uh, boy, I was thankful for that. I thought that's a great gift. And uh, I thought, man, this is wonderful. Never saw him again. A week later, a pastor calls me up. Hey, this guy came from your church and he's talking about you. See, that was what we call a parting gift. <laughs> I learned quick how to use the answering machine. <laughs> and you, you, you know, that it's not uncommon. I'm just saying, with blessings, oftentimes battles will follow. You'll battle to get a blessing. You'll battle to keep a blessing. Don't be surprised if God does something great for you and you're not hit with a tremendous battle in a short period of time after you go through such a time of blessing. So that really don't amaze me. Well, what does amaze you? Can I give you just two or three things? Uh, Number one, They get to this place and the water is bitter. Doesn't say there wasn't water. It was bad water. They couldn't drink it. They didn't know what they were going to do. Bad water in a desert. Nothing amazing about that. Here's what really amazed me though. When you start reading in verse 15, verse 25 says, the Lord showed him a tree. Why'd I have to show him a tree? Now that's, that's amazing. Now think about this. They're in the desert, in the wilderness. Verse 22 confirms that. They're in the wilderness of Shur. I can promise you there weren't hardly any trees anywhere in the wilderness of sure. If you're gone three days and you were thirsty and there was a tree there, I think everybody would be fighting to get under it to get a little shade. I think that would be the first thing that catches his attention is there is a tree there, but he doesn't even notice this tree. The Lord shows him the tree. You say, oh no, it means more than that. Well, I'm just telling you what it says. The Lord showed him a tree. It's almost like, if you go back in the original text, it's almost like it was there and he didn't see it. Now that's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how God can be all over the place doing all kinds of great things. People sitting in a service where God is moving wall to wall, front to back, heaven has came down, glory is everywhere and they don't have a clue that he's anywhere around. And it amazes me that people don't know as much as it's been preached and as much as it's been taught for anything that's bitter in your life, the answer's in the tree. There is a tree that takes away, hallelujah, that takes away all the bitterness. There is a tree that can make the water worth drinking again. There is a tree that brings healing to the water and refreshes our soul. There is a tree that the Prince of Glory 
died on. It's called Calvary's cross. And I don't care what you go through in life or how bitter that it is in life. The answer to all of it is always in the tree. There'll be some bitter times in your life. Yes, there's times where it's just bitter. Situations bring about bitterness. Friends sometimes forsaken, that's bitter. Sometimes it's bitter to watch someone that has served God drift away from God. It's bitter to see wayward loved ones go out in sin. It's bitter to have to stand and watch parents stand before me and weep and sob because their kids are so addicted on drugs. It's bitter to go into a house where somebody has died prematurely because of bad choices in their life. There's a lot of bitterness out there, but I come with good news. I know there is a tree, and that tree is amazing what it can do. There's bitter times. We all face our time of bitterness. But the answer is always in the tree. When you put the cross in the mix, it changes everything. And God, through the tree, gave them that day what they needed. But there was more to come. It amazes me how good that it is to serve the Lord. But it amazes me even greater. There's better things on down the highway. Now I can't imagine it getting much better in my life. I'm not saying you don't have bitter times and you don't have, have bitter challenges. I, I know that. But I'm here to tell you, as good as what God has been to me, sometimes I almost get weak in the knees to think, but the best is yet to come. On down the way, there is an Elam waiting for every one of us that love the Lord and know the Lord. And bitter times come, but in the bitterness, God reminds us, if we will do what he says and trust him, he will make the bitter sweet. I haven't said much about it in the past, uh, well, it's probably been three and a half weeks ago now. Uh, Phil Roderick got out of the hospital. They sent him home and uh, he was extremely weak and just terribly weak. Sickness had left him so weak and several times we had him on the prayer chain from the pulpit. I'd ask you all to pray for him that he, he's just battling a lot of weakness and the past week or so, he started to get very sick. His granddaughter, Ashley, was engaged and last Friday, Brian had the privilege of performing a wedding ceremony for Ashley and her fiance for Phil to be present at that. And uh, he kept getting worse. I had seen him just a couple of days ago. I talked to the family two or three or four times each day and checking on his progress and things were about the same. We were down in Moorhead in meetings and I'm sitting in the office yesterday and it's early afternoon and we don't have to leave 
until around 4.30 to go to Moorhead, Brian and I and the ones that went down with us last night, we, I knew we were leaving then to go down, so I knew I had plenty of time, but I'm sitting in the office and I told the staff, I said, I'm sorry, I've got to leave, I've got to go, I've got to go right now. I came out and on the way out, I, I called their home. I got a hold of one of the family members and I said, listen, I don't want to intrude, but I just feel impressed. I feel like I need to come to be with you all right now and to have prayer for Phil. And they said, absolutely, come on. Now there's two reasons that I did that. I never want to intrude on anybody's privacy. And second of all, they got some dogs. <laughs> and a good dog guards your property. And dogs will do what they're supposed to do. And uh, so when they're there, they're able to say, he's a good guy. And even though the dog sees me all the time, it's just like he's never seen me before. <laughs> and uh, so I enter in the house. We talk maybe five minutes or so. And uh, I said, uh, I think we need to have prayer right now. And they gathered around the bed. I laid my hand on his shoulder. And... I pray, and heaven came down. They cracked a window open, and a breeze came through the window. He's laying in the bed at the exact same spot that his wife, not too long ago, was laying in the same place in their house and where she went to meet the Lord. And that breeze began to blow. And Tim, my heart was broken. I love Phil Roderick and you love Phil Roderick and Phil loved this church. He worked on this church. Not only did he clean the church for an extended period of time, sheetrock that you're sitting under, Phil was a little guy, but he was strong. And uh, I remember when he gave his life to the Lord. I was part of that and privileged to be friends of his and neighbors of his. He was a good neighbor. All of you live here in the community can vouch to that. Phil and I hit it off right away because when he was saved the first time he came in, he's French Canadian and he had a La Bible and I stopped him at the back door and I said, you can't bring that in here. He said, why? And I said, we don't allow LA Bibles in here. <laughs> he didn't know I joked. He said, it's le Bible. <laughs> and week after week, we would meet, Candy and I would meet him, and usually he'd teach us one French word, of which I can't recall all right now. But all these memories are flooding my mind as I'm praying for him. I prayed with a lot of people near death, more times than I could count. But so help me, as soon as I said amen, Phil drew his last breath here and his first breath there. We're all broken, we're all weeping and God seemed to remind me, cow, because of the tree. The bitter waters are made sweet and you press on because the best is yet to come. Feels with so many from this church that have already gone on. And the good news is, I'm gonna get to see him again. But it'll be a, in a land where age will never touch us 
and cancer can never come. Disease will never bother us. And thank God it's all because of the tree. The tree changes lives. The tree not only saves souls, but it changes our destiny for all eternity. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. There will be bitter waters. You can't escape it. Denver, it's great to see you tonight, brother. I'm, I'm sorry I'm preaching from my heart. Is that okay? Thank you, thank you. I'm going to anyway. Uh, we sure miss you. I, I know why you're not here. But he's been through some bitter, bitter storms and bitter struggles for a long time. But he's sitting back there with a smile on his face tonight. But I remember when you got saved and the tree's still good, Denver. And we'll all face some bitter things in life, but the tree is what makes the difference. Tonight, as I preach to what I consider to be some of heaven's finest, some of you are going through bitter times. You don't have to tell us what it is. You don't have to pour out your heart to me, Brian, any of our deacons, any of our preachers. You don't have to tell us the details of all of it but you're at a bitter pool right now and it's a tough place. But I've come to give you some good news. The tree that saved you and the tree that delivered you and the tree that watched over you, that same tree is available to you to make the bitter waters sweet. Sweet. 